0: Good morning. Are you all alive and awake out there? I'm not sure. Are you all alive and awake out there? Good morning. We have a lot of young people in our church, don't we? Because there's not so many people in here now, is there? That's exciting for me because that means that the church is growing and thriving. Maybe not. Maybe it is. Will you turn with me, friends, to Luke 5? read from 1 to 11, Team Point if you brought your Bible with you, if you didn't, can I encourage you to bring it next week. back in my day, everyone used to have their Bible at church. Can we reverse the trend, maybe? It's wonderful. It should always be on our lips. Um, this morning we're we're going to talk about, do, we're gonna talk about a, a series called "Small Groups: Great Purpose. Small Groups: Great Purpose. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that as we go along. What we're focusing on in this series, it's going to run for four weeks, so today and then the next three weeks that follow, unless God does something off plan, as He frequently does, is that we want to try to understand together how it's often not so much the big crowd, but very small groups of people that are the catalyst to make the difference in the world. Have you ever thought about that? Very often, when you see a big group of people, a big crowd of people, all gathered together, whether it's for a rock concert, whether it's to hear um, a a, a speaker or in a church or whatever it may be, it's always a small group that's gathered beforehand with a vision, with a passion, with purpose, ready to roll their sleeves up, ready to do something that makes the difference. What we're going to do throughout this series is um, we're going to build up to and then culminate on the Sunday, the 1st of March, with an opportunity for you, if you would like to sign up to join a life group. If you're not in one already, can I encourage you to begin thinking about it? What we've tended to do in the past is say, for people who... Because I know there's people in this church, whether it's a health thing, whether they're very busy because they work away, or they've got a very demanding job, or really big family commitments, is often people have kind of slinked away from life groups and ended up not really in them. But what I really want to encourage you to, to do with this series, at the end of this series, is we're going to turn that on its head, and we're going to say, even if you think I may never be able to go to life group, to a life group, join one anyway. Even if you think well, I just can't, I might be able to go at some point in the future, but I just, I genuinely can't see where and when it could be. Sign up for one anyway. We'll allocate you to one. If you don't like it, you can try a different one. But what we want to help people understand is there's great importance and power in small groups of people coming together, loving one another, encouraging one another, being accountable to one another, helping one another. And if this might all be like, you may be preaching to the converted heroes, talking to, um, well, I don't like to single people out, but I was talking, she doesn't mind if I single, single her out, but Rosemary over here told me, I knew that would get your attention, she said to me, I spoke to her on the phone, she said, I've been in a group since the 70s. I just, I've never left the place, we may have been in different groups, but I've never not gone to a life group or a small group or a house group or whatever you call it. I encourage you just today to start thinking about it. And if you're already in, if you're not in one, and if you are in one, Why not recommit yourself over these next few weeks weeks to your group? Say, I'm going to make it really important. It's an opportunity for us, really, in small groups, to discover who God created us to be. That's our motto as a church. That's who we are, discover who God created you to be. Anyway, it's a great opportunity to build up friendships, to move on in your faith and thrive in your life with God and discover who God created you to be. Today's focus, as part of this series, Small Group's Great Purpose, is who are we becoming? I ask you the question, friends who are you becoming? Who are you turning into in this kind of almost great chrysalis of life that we go through with Jesus? Who are you becoming? Just last night, I knew this was God directing me towards something. I was drawn to something that Mike Pilavachi, who's the um, leader of the Soul Survivor Church and the Soul Survivor Movement, he quoted his right-hand man, Andy Croft, something he'd said to him. And he said this, two questions I should ask myself. First, where am I going? And second, who am I becoming while I'm on the journey to where I am going? For followers of Jesus, the second question is at least as important as the first. It's not just a question of where we're going, but who am I becoming where I'm on the journey to where I'm going. The destination, as Pete said in our recent video, the destination of Jesus is Jesus. Have you ever thought beyond the place where we say, Lord, I surrender my life to you, I'm going to be yours forever. How do we actually get there? Well, that's one of the things that you can discover and understand when you're part of a life group. Who are we becoming? It's tied up with our purpose. Our purpose, knowing that we have a sense of purpose in our life, something to get us out of bed in the morning, something to live for, is experts say that the discussion's kind of really pretty much closed on this. Experts say it's the number one most important thing to humans. We need to know why we're here. What are we here to do? You hear that question all the time, don't you? What is the meaning of life? So many people have discussed it. If you understand your purpose and your purpose in Jesus, then everything begins to make sense. All of us have an individual purpose. All of us, I believe, have got a specific bespoke, made to measure, this is what you're here on the planet to do. Some people make it. Some people miss it. Some people do bits of it. But all of us need to do many of the same things to push into our purpose, to become the person God has created us to be, I ask you the question, friends. This morning, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? I'm just going to read from Luke, five one to eleven, and let's see how Jesus handled speaking into the future. The purpose who certain a number of certain significant men were to become. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got one of them into the boat. Sorry, he got one of the boats. Again, he got into one of the boats, the one belonged to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught people from the boat. Then there's a pause. What do you think Jesus was speaking? I think he may have been speaking something about future purpose. Because it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into the, into deep water, put out into deep water, and let down the nets for a catch." Simon answered, "Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets." When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Why do you, let me just stop off, why do you think he asked that question? Rather than just saying, oh, thanks, Jesus, that's brilliant, we've got a wonderful catch. Why do you think he said, go away from me, I'm a sinful man? I'll come to that in a moment. Verse number 9, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. This is a story, friends, about who these men were to become. Jesus spoke directly into their lives. He spoke into their purpose. And he said, you lot might just be ordinary men, ordinary fishermen doing an ordinary job in an ordinary part of the world, but you, my friends, one day are going to be spiritual superheroes. You will be people who we're talking about them this morning, who people all around the world will talk about. You are the guys You are the guys who are going to go and change the world. If it wasn't for them and their obedience, we wouldn't be here this morning. Have you ever thought about that? As I reflect on this piece of scripture, I think that so often in life we look at the big crowd as being a sign of success. I think one of the things everywhere I go, whenever I talk to church leaders, so often they say to themselves, I have to not let. The size of the crowd, say on a Sunday morning, determine how committed I appear. Determine how much I love the people. Determine how much self-worth I feel in God. Whether it's a big number, a small number, or a medium number. It's all something that we somehow stress out about. But they said that's not important. What is important is that with the people that you love, who you're helping to look after, you need to do everything God has called you to do with those people, speaking to the life, speaking to purpose. So often in life, people look at a big crowd and say, that means success. One of my friends says to me, remember James, this is brilliant what he said, remember James, Hit, Adolf Hitler was brilliant at drawing big crowds and look how that ended. Look how that ended. Great to have a great big crowd of people, but that's not the point. The point is being Faithful to what God has called you to do. And in reality, is the success of something is often determined, if not always determined, by a small group of people with a vision for something, with passion, with purpose, who are sold out for their cause. I get here on Sunday mornings and I get here quite early, but every single Sunday morning I get here and there are people here putting on the lights, warming up the building, getting the sound and visual desk ready, laying cables for the musicians, and we get in a huddle and we pray and we thank God for the fact that we're all together and we say, Lord, just come and be among us this morning. Bring the people in. Let's have a fantastic Sunday together where we honor the name of Jesus. Very often, it's the small group that determines the great purpose Friends, who are we becoming? See, it's often the small cogs that move the big wheel. Before there was ever a crowd, there was a committed group of people with belief, purpose, and a vision for the future. Just like the start of Acts, long before the 3,000 people were saved in one day, there were just a few believing people who were praying. Jesus ascends. Before he goes, he says, stay in the city until you close." Clothed with power from on high, and they get together and they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray and they believe with all their hearts and they pray and they pray and they pray, and then boom, the Holy Spirit comes. There's tongues of fire, the whole place is shaken, and it's only that that then allows to give way to the 3,000 people being preached to in boldness and being saved in one day. That can happen today. Am I the only one who believes that? I believe that could happen today because it's the same Holy Spirit, it's the same message to Jesus. You don't need to change it or recycle it. Just how we present it sometimes needs to change, based on where we are, based on who we're with. See, it's the small group that determined the big purpose, and that's one of the reasons we want to encourage you, if you're not already in one, to think about signing up to be part of a life group. You no, know, I really. So one of the things I really love, I. I Feel I'm quite pastoral at heart. I like when someone's upset about something, or when someone has got a a need that we can maybe meet. I love being able to go and do something about that. But do you know what's so much better than that? Than when there's a group of people, say about a dozen people, who are all together and someone in that group has a need, and they tell the group and the group like, Don't worry, we'll take care of you. And then when someone else has a need, they say, Don't worry, we can take care of you. Someone's feeling discouraged in the faith, don't we? We'll get round you, we'll pat you on the back, we'll encourage you, we'll help you persevere. That's so much better than an Or we'd better go and help this person. When people are just loving one another in community and saying we're going to look out for one another. I was really privileged on, on Thursday um, to be able to visit our um, Thursday daytime group. And I could just see, and it, it was not absolutely everybody was there, but you know what? The sense of just loving the room for one another was wonderful. That's what they're like. That's what we want in these groups. There's an old-fashioned, quite sadly quite accurate trend within churches that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. It's called the 80-20 rule. Wouldn't it be great if we could reverse that and where we could say every single person in this church does their bit, whether it's big or small, everyone does a bit. Everyone takes care of something. We can be the church that reverses that if we all take the decision, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make sure I'm serving. I'm going to make sure I'm giving something back into the pot. See, what Jesus does does here is twofold. Just returning to the piece of scripture I've just read, it's twofold. He does two specific things. Firstly, he performs a miracle to demonstrate who he is. The reason Simon Peter falls at his feet and he doesn't just say, oh, thanks very much, Jesus, for the catch a fish he's been letting his nets out down all night he's not caught a thing he in faith says okay well I'll find if you say go and put out your nets I'll do it it's not just he caught a few fish he caught so many fish that boats began to sink he didn't just really he wasn't just grateful he knew that this Jesus was different he knew this Jesus was the son of God and There's something about humans, and this is one of the reasons I'm always encouraging people to read their Bibles, to pray, to get around believers, is that the closer and closer and closer we come to God, the more we we realise how sinful, how unworthy we are. But it doesn't stop there. Because we, as we realize how wonderful he is and how low we are, we realize that what he says about us, the, way that, the fact that when he looks at us, he sees his own righteousness, we realize that we're saved and healed and set free and special and given purpose. Friends, these are the people I want us to become. And this is the person Jesus wants you to become as well. Jesus, firstly, performs a miracle to demonstrate who he is. But secondly... He bestows purpose and destiny and dignity on these men. He says, you guys might just be fishermen, but you are going to do much more than that. If he'd have maybe said more than this, it probably would have blown their minds. But he said to them, it was like we know with the benefit of history, he said to them, you are going to go out and you are going to change the world in your lifetime. Before all of you lot come back to heaven to be with me, you are going to change the world you are going to start a movement that's going to be known as the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I think it's great. Jesus says, this is only the start. You'll do much greater things than this. This was Jesus kicking off their ministry, giving their ministry the kickstart that it needed. And it began with a group of small people. Very often, the great purpose is determined by the small group, and I ask you, friends, this morning, who are you becoming? This is not the first time that these men had encountered Jesus. If you read Mark uh, one seventeen, John one forty to forty two, and John two one to two, you will see that these men had had previous encounters with Jesus. But prior to that, it had been kind of a loose association; it had been a kind of a little thing. This, I think, is the first m- big, massive, significant encounter they have with Jesus. What was formerly a loose association then becomes a purpose driven, tight knit, purpose centered relationship and partnership. Jesus was giving them an opportunity to come and be part of something that was going to change the face of the whole planet. That's why we're here, because the obedience of people like that. I know I'm blessed because of the obedience of my parents in just honoring Jesus. You're probably here. You will be here because of someone's obedience. And you can have the same effect on someone else right now. Can I ask you, friends, are you loosely associated with Jesus? Or are you 100% sold out, just ready to do whatever he's called you to do? I know where I'd rather be. I don't want to live a life where I just flutter on the wings of a sparrow. I want to soar. I want to thrive. And I want that for you too. These men, you must remember, were later in Acts 4.13. They were described as being unskilled and ordinary. They weren't clever. They weren't they didn't have degrees coming out of their ears. They didn't have tons of life experience. They were really, they were kids, really. Unskilled and ordinary. But do you know what? And I hope this encourages you this morning. It does to me, because it's something about the older I get, I realise how much, how little I actually know. I, the other week I went to the British uh, Museum. I had a few hours in there and it was wonderful. But you know what? I just felt so thick walking around it thinking, half oh, of this stuff it just blows my mind, especially when we got into sort of the, the East and looking at China and just thinking, oh my word. <laughs> so much I don't know. But do you know what? Friends, you don't have to be a genius to follow Jesus. You don't. Great... It's a great comfort for me. You see, they saw something in him that the world couldn't offer them. He offered them earthly purpose and eternal perspective. Friends, who are you becoming? It's a gradual process. You don't, you know, when someone sets out on where they say, I'm going to lose four stone in weight. It doesn't all happen in one day. It doesn't all happen with that decision. That decision is just the start. What it takes is lots of little steps. It takes eating the right food. It takes showing some willpower. It takes some exercise to ensure you get to where you want to go to. I just encourage you this morning to view your relationship with Jesus like this. Just say, wake up in the morning and say, Lord, by the time I go to bed tonight, I want to have been a bit further ahead than when my head last hit this pillow. That's a good thing to say how can this thing that happened to these disciples happen to us today? Well, as I've already said, Peter got close to Jesus, and the closer he got, the more he realized how unworthy he was, but more he realized that Jesus was someone who could do something about it. It says in that they left everything to follow him. It says in Luke, Jesus said in later on in Luke, 962 he said no one puts the hand to the plow no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God meaning that we've got to keep looking forward we shouldn't be looking back at our old life do you ever get glimpses of your old life and think it wouldn't be nice to go back there for a day or two or an hour or whatever it may be but do you know what there's what is ahead of us is so much greater so much more important and if God ever says no it's always because he's got a bigger yes in mind Who should we become? Well, the Bible encourages us simply to be more and more like Jesus every day. It used to be a devotional, didn't they? Every day with Jesus. might still be printed. Every day, just walk the road with him, but become more like him. It's a really simple thing. You look at your template. Don't make it a Christian superstar or, you know, as great as those people are who can help you and encourage you. We all need to have our eyes fixed upon Jesus. But can I give you a really important caveat? It's Often it comes with a small group of people who are committed to one another. But I need to give you an important caveat. Mahatma Gandhi once said this. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I've read that before, but I read that again in the week, and my jaw kind of hit the floor and was like, (gasps) send a bit of a horrible shiver down my spine. I mean, in a sense, he's missing the point because, and I don't think Gandhi ever got this in his lifetime, because we'll never measure up to who Jesus was until we see him face to face. We'll never know the fullness of who he is. We can get a good idea. But when Jesus sees us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees his righteousness. He sees what he's done about it but it gives us a responsibility to ensure that we intentionally pursue a relationship with Jesus where we daily become more and more like him step at a time so we can do out our bit to draw out more and more of who Jesus is so that we can show we can be lights of the world to draw people to the light of the world If we don't set our sights on becoming more like Jesus, then may I ask you the question, who are you aspiring to be like? I don't think as as amazing as we all are that any of us are original enough to become so completely unique that we never take on the facets of someone else. It's a serious question. And friends, I want to say to you, if you don't become like Jesus, I guarantee you, you will become like someone else. And no one else is worthy of that amount of time. And no one else can save you only Jesus can. If you don't become like Jesus, you'll become like someone else. There are so many key parts of Scripture that show that we should follow in Jesus' footsteps, that we should become like Him. What I got in the week was when I was thinking about this was kind of a start and an end, and the start of it is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, which will flash up on the board right now. Right now. Right now. Right there you go. It worked. First Corinthians 11.1, one, it says, fo- Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. But the end result of that is this, 2 Corinthians 3.18. <laughs> I could just see it changing, I got in quick enough. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a bit like the phrase, isn't it? Glory to glory to glory. You can see why I've never been invited into the worship team, can't you? We can be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And that this promise here, one degree of glory to another, if you read slightly further back in... 2 Corinthians cha- uh, verse, chapter number 3, you will see about it's spoken of about the Moses and the prophets and apostles and preachers and people like that. But the this promise is not just for special people, it's for all of us. Going from one degree of glory to another. And God's face, friends, God is not restricted. There is no veil. It has been taken away. You can pray to God at any and of communion with him and hear from him any time you see fit. He is always available. The word contemplate, when we contemplate the glory of the Lord, maybe a slightly more, having studied the word, maybe a slightly more accurate word than contemplate is the word reflect. So, and we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. Think of a mirror, reflection of a mirror. And the emphasis here isn't, if you would think about the mirror, isn't so much on the reflective ability or capabilities of a mirror, but the intimacy that a mirror offers. I'm not talking about sitting and just staring in a mirror, loving at, lovingly at yourself, thinking, aren't you, absolutely gorgeous. Or sitting, looking at yourself, thinking, as I frequently do, Oh, my word, you've aged so much. Oh, my word, where did that spot come from? Oh, my word, your skin's getting worse by the day. Oh, it's got a bit better now, it's got worse. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the intimacy that a mirror can offer. Because what Paul is talking about here is the reflection of Jesus from us to other people can be the thing that changes time and lives for others you see mirrors in Paul's day back in this time we didn't have they didn't have mirrors like we have we can just kind of you can buy a mirror for next to nothing can't you well it be a nicer one but it will do the same job but back in that day they didn't have glass mirrors that were really massively reflective the mirrors that they had were just highly 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 polished metal which would give a reflection, but it was pretty poor compared to what we have nowadays. So what he's saying is, we may not have the glory of, the full glory of Christ reflected to us now, but one day we'll see him as he really is. One day we'll see him face to face. There's a song in there, and I'm not going to sing it for you. And there's a scripture in there as well Well, what's more as Romans 12 verse 2 backs up as we gaze at Jesus glory we can be continually transformed into the person more and more like the person that he is not just from one level I'm talking about something called theologians called sanctification where we go greater glory 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 great from one level to the other not just on one level, but progressively. As we know more about him, we can become more like him. This, it's brilliant when you're in a small group of people who can encourage one another. And you can all go on a journey with Jesus together. I just think about the time when Kelly and I led a, a um, co-leading the life group. Every single one of those people who was in it are further ahead than they used to be. I just know it. I see the fruit of it. I'm excited by that. Thinking of going from one level of glory to another got me thinking in the week. It's a little bit like the Shard. Has everyone seen the Shard in London? Mabs that massive building. I'm a little bit scared. Has anyone been up, up the Shard? I know Bill has. Anyone else? Oh, come on, guys. We need to do a road trip. Should we just cancel church next Sunday? and go? To... No, no, I'm joking, 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 joking. <laughs> joking. We'll do it on another day. Another day of the week. We, we need to go on a road trip and go up the Shard. But... The Christian life is a little bit like the Shard. See, we're all on the same building, but you have a choice to determine which floor you go to. Do you want to just go on the ground floor? Do you want to just go up a few, or do you want to soar right to the top as high as you can go before heaven? I know I don't want to just be away in the shallows. I want to go right to the top of the building. And you can do this by intentionally pursuing a relationship with jesus We're just gonna show you a really quick video Thank you. Reminded me of someone, that guy on the screen there. (laughs) Just want to give you four tips, four ways in which we can go from one glory to another with Jesus. How we can become who he's created us to be. Firstly, we can connect. There is power in connecting. Our mission as a church is to connect, grow and thrive in everything God has given us. Be something coming up on the screen a second just to emphasize that. We want people to connect not just to one another but to God too, and we can connect to people by building relationships, new relationships, putting more time into existing ones. We can connect to God by praying, by communion with God, communion with one another, taking communion, having that relationship with God. A great thing is that the Bible says that we don't need to do this alone. We don't need to do this journey alone together. I, I'd, I'd said it last week, and I, you know, I'd, sometimes you feel a little bit, even though we know it's true, feel a little bit scared saying it. But I'll just come out and say, I just believe it's completely unbiblical for Christians not to be part of a church. We're called to be together. It's simple. We're called to be together. I don't mean it's always going to be easy, but we're called to be together. Second thing is that you can learn. You could learn. Have you got the thing? Thank you. There's a man called J.C. Ryle, a 19th century bishop, and he once said this He said, He that would be conformed to Christ's image and become a Christ like man must be constantly studying Christ himself. It's kind of not rocket science. If you want to be more like Jesus, you need to study. Who he is, you need to find out who he is. This can be both people telling you stuff, passing on wisdom from scripture, but also you reading it yourself and a small group a life group is a great context for that. if we don 't learn more, there is a time element. We need to put time into we don 't just automatically go from one realm of glory to another it doesn 't happen as if by magic. you put, need to put in the time you need to apply yourself. You need to understand more of Scripture, but then apply it, which is part of the discipleship process. And it all comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, just on a personal level, I, I remember when I was really fe- feeling called into church ministry, and I remember the people in my, group, my life group I was in at the time were the people who really made me believe I could do it. Because they all said, this is great, just go for it, go for it. Believe what God's spoken into your life. And before I knew it, I was often, I was studying, a, did a, doing a biblical studies diploma and all sorts of stuff and, and beginning to get opportunities in church, and beginning to press into stuff. And it was the people in that small group that determined the purpose, so much the purpose that spoken to my life and helped me. Thirdly, one thing that we can do that you don't hear a lot of these days is that within a group and within your life with Jesus, you, can, you must... Seek to treasure Jesus. Henry Drummond, a 19th century Scottish evangelist, said, To become Christ like is the only thing in the whole world worth caring for, the thing before which every ambition of man is folly and all lower achievement vain. We can see this by treasuring Jesus in our heart. Have you ever just stopped and treasured something? Don't mean covet. I mean treasured something. You might have a possession or a thought or a person and you just almost don't need to do anything. It might be completely worthless to other people. It might be, you know, the phrase one person's trash is another person's treasure. But you may just look at it and think, I'm so glad I had that moment. I'm so glad I've got that possession. Treasure it up in your own heart. My mum, when she was alive, often used to, she had lots of Mostly kind nicknames for us. No, they're all kind as kids. But she, one of the things she often used to call us was, even when we got really old, she would call you my treasure. Because she treasured us. Can I encourage you to think about stopping for a moment and just, you, just close your eyes and just say, Jesus, I just treasure you. Thank you so much that you saved me. Thank you so much that I've got you in my life. And finally, and this is one that really speaks to me, keep going. Perseverance. Samuel Johnson once said, great works are performed, not by strength, but by perseverance. And another person once said, a stone is broken by the last stroke of a hammer, but that doesn't mean that the first stroke is useless. And a piece of scripture that helps me so much with this is when Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 12, when he says, I press on towards the goal leaving behind what is behind me leaving it in the past I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus for his name for his sake and friends do you know what we can sometimes just stir ourselves stir up the faith within us and just persevere ourselves my mum to say come on James just get on with it and grip your teeth don't care if you don't want to do it just get on with it do it scared do it if you don't feel like it just persevere But do you know what? It's so much easier when you have friends around you who you're patting you on the back, just saying, come on, come on, you can do this. Come on, keep persevering. Don't give up. You've come far too far to give up on this now, to give up on this thing. It might be tough, but we're with you. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Three secrets of perseverance. Firstly perseverance is acquired it's not inherited it doesn't come magically you need to learn to persevere secondly appearance cannot uh, sorry perseverance cannot be faked if you try and fake it it will very quickly be shown up to be a forgery thirdly perseverance breeds success if you persevere you now i just have this great desire in this this the sphere of this locality that we're in to see this strong, vibrant Christian presence that is a massive light to this area. Someone gave me a word in the way, I'm sorry, I know I'm a little bit over time, someone gave me um, a word on Tuesday night, an me, lady goes to another church in Lincoln, she just said to me, I really believe, and I'd said something about this the week before, I really believe that your church, this church, is going to be a little bit like supermarkets when... When you go into supermarkets, you know they often pipe through music, but they also to lull you into a false insecurity so you buy more. But they also pump through the smell of freshly baked bread. Yeah? And she said, Your church, this church, and let's push into this promise, friends, this church is going to be a church that there is going to be a smell and a sense that's going to permeate these walls all the time. And people around and about they as they drive past our building even just they sit in their home somewhere not too far from here they're just going to tell there's something going on here that's exciting there's fiber that's different isn't that exciting that's really exciting to me keep going friends you've come far too far to give up don't give up now the best is yet to come can the band come back i'm just going to finish with this one thought no, no, do you all know Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury? By the way, please pray for him. Pray for wisdom. He's got, some, he's got a difficult job. He's got big weight on his shoulders. I once met the Archbishop of Canterbury, one of the most down-to-earth people you'd ever meet. Lovely, lovely guy. And he told a story about when he was, a number of years ago, he was somewhere in the Middle East, and he was captured and, he, and blindfolded, um, and then he was told, Um, we're going to kill you before the morning. You'll be dead before the morning. That's nice, isn't it? (laughs) Can you imagine what was going through his head then? He said, well, it drove me to prayer like nothing else. But he said, while he was praying, he prayed to God for peace, and he realized that somewhere within one of his pockets he had a little packet or something like that that had um, a little vial of um, communion wine or something that resembled that, and a small piece of bread or a little biscuit or whatever it was, and he decided to recite scripture to himself, and he took communion with himself. It's not a thing we often do, is it? But normally it's all together when we take communion, but he took communion himself. He asked for peace. And then he fell into a deep, deep, deep sleep. And he woke, awoke the next morning. Could you imagine deep, a deep sleep, the best night's sleep you've ever had when you've, been, when you've been taken hostage? I can't. But he fell into this deep sleep, and the next morning he was awoken by someone who basically just picked him up and just threw him out on the street and he was there, a free man. That was an amazing story, but the reason I tell you that is that he was under constant enemy surveillance and in a similar way, we are as well. The enemy is always ready to come and try and have a dig at sooner or later. But you know, when you've got friends around you, you don't need to be like Justin Welby was there you don't need to try and fight back by yourself very often if you've got if you're in a, a small group if you're in a life group if you've got friends around you very often when your arms are too tired to lift them yourself people can lift your arms for you people can help you people can encourage you you can learn you can pray together you can treasure jesus and you can learn how to persevere i encourage you sunday the first of march if you're not already in one get signed up for one. Can we stand? We're going to sing one final song. Thank you.